0: Off the Ball with BetDak.com, the sports betting exchange. Serious about sports 24-7. Every season, every sport,
1: every team.
0: Alright, you very welcome along. It's uh, Friday night. We've got Brian O'Driscoll with us. Brian, a very good evening to you. How are you good doing? Good evening, great. Um, so, we've been talking about central contracts during the week. We'll get to that in a couple of minutes. Yeah, a little bit confused by it. Yeah, um, but I guess we should get your opinion on what the hell happened last weekend. Um, there's a number of different assessments of it. We got killed in the scrum. You take the scrums out. Ireland actually did quite well. Uh, We tried to be a little bit too creative. We didn't have the skill set to do it. We weren't creative enough. What's your take? I
1: I think the skill set, I think we tried to play a lot of rugby, which wasn't a bad thing. I thought some of it was good considering the conditions. I think maybe we probably tried to play a bit too much. Um, But at the same time, I felt the, the 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 most annoying aspect was that we didn't put our pressure into points. You absolutely have to do it, and you need to do that at home. But it's even more difficult away because the crowd has an opportunity to get back on their on their team's side. You know, if we had managed to silence them, you know, cast a, a doubt into the French minds the first twenty twenty five minutes, and put that pressure into points and gotten more than I don't know what the sequence went. Um, nine, but if three. Yeah, nine three, yeah, nine three. But if we'd gotten if we'd gotten a try you know you you get to uh you get the 16-3 that that actually blows the the game wide open and and it it just gives you that incentive to kick on again and then you can go back to building your three-pointers thereafter.
2: Well, why didn't we get to try like I mean I was listening to or watching it on TV and Shane Horgan was saying we were in some very good positions and power plays didn't come off and Brent Pope disagreed and said I didn't really see too many good positions we were in like you know why were we not able to put that pressure into points it's not the first time it's happened
1: no it's not listen you, you have to be realistic as well and on a day like that with the conditions um, as slippery as it was and you saw how many unforced errors there were the problem with that was un- unforced error leads to scrum and our scrum was in trouble and so you lose momentum and territory straight away so w- when that is happening to you it's, it's very hard to build your way into the game I think I, I was looking at the power plays as well, and we weren't far away from breaking them on a number of occasions. Um, did some good homework. Uh, albeit we only had one game to look back on from from Vez, uh his reign, um, but it, it was always going to be a bit of a dog fight. It was always going to be sleeves sleeves rolled up, and you're never going to see a you know a thirty point draw. It was always going to be you know three points here and there, penalties. Wait for their indiscipline and and kick your goals and. You know, if you could sneak a try, that would have been that would have been the difference. As it was with Madar in the end, so you just have to keep yourselves in the game, make sure defensively you're very strong, and try and you know force them into making errors, you know defensively and and giving away penalties. Take those points, but then if one try opportunity does arise, you've got to take it. And, and we didn't manage to do that.
0: When you're watching a game like that and you're seeing that France are targeting us, they're being very borderline in terms of the physicality stakes and the referee is having a bit of a shocker are you thinking everybody needs to be on the referee is there anything that you can do to influence that because like watching it you're thinking why the hell are we doing nothing about this
1: yeah like the, the, the maestri one kind of beggar's belief I, I don't like the referee was right behind them. and I know that it went to a siding commissioner and it was just below a red card level which I would agree with it's, yeah. it wasn't a red card for no. me but it's 100% it's the most blatant yellow card I've ever seen um interesting, the Gerardo one, I, I'm still a bit split on it. Right. I, I'm still unsure. You know, it did in real time look that it was a high shot. And it's definitely started legal, but it probably did finish illegal. But it was such a colossal hit. That I always have a little bit of respect <laughs> for them. <laughs> I see what you mean. I see what you mean. You know, did it. We'd almost, be almost benefit the doubt because I watched him. I re- I watched the replay loads of times, and he was the negative guard on the other side of the rook when Sexto got the ball, and then he saw it happening a mile away, and he got excited and he accelerated into the tackle as hard as he could, and that was just all out commitment. And he had his head in a position where he didn't know exactly the shot was. Dave Carney. Dipped a little bit. So you know, all the diff- all the scenarios probably worked against them a, a little bit, all the, the, the different factors in, in a big collision like that. But it was because it was so borderline, I'd be I'd be willing to let that go.
0: And do you feel like we needed to influence the referee a bit more though?
1: I think definitely on the Maestri one, you know, like you know, Johnny has to have a word to to um to Rory Best or to the referee and it's best and, to be quiet and, for that type tell of thing. Him, tell him to, to Speak to the referee and go. Go to the TMO. Ask the TMO to go back because now we can do that. Yeah. Um. Referees are stopping things for everything. Yeah. So you can bring it to someone's attention. And go. I really, as captain, I really need you to have a look at that because one of my players has just been taken off and it's a yellow card offense and you don't want to have missed it. Even if he saw it in front of it, if he has that conversation because it's all you're mic'd up. Yeah. Everyone can hear it. You get the next. So one. he no, but he has to then go. No, no, no. I'm absolutely happy. And then if if he says that. Then he, you know, he looks like the clown. He's on the but, hook for that. Yeah, thing, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. Whereas so then, whereas if he does, you know, he'll probably go. Okay, even though I think it's okay, I better go to the TMO because the captain has come to me and specifically said, "Look at that play."
2: He's best a bit quiet for stuff like that.
1: I, listen, I don't know where I didn't he see where Rory be... was in that sequence of plays. So uh, you know, he was maybe oblivious to it all. Yeah, so I, I think it's unfair to to try and apportion any blame with Rory but I think Johnny has to go and message Rory to tell him to go back and look at that and it's, it's
0: kind of the whole team and it's also at half time where they get the video out and they say "Looking, this is what they're doing to you lads so yeah, it, it felt like there was a bit more of the the back alley about France than there was about us
1: yeah it did seem that um, I think as well when you lose Shawnee you lose your back alley um, you know because that is you know that's what he brings he brings that that real aggression that I don't think anyone else in in an Irish jersey for a lot of years yeah. is capable of bringing. He just has. He's kind of a force of nature, and when you lose that, I think that really took the wind out of our sails a little bit as well. Yeah, um, because they teams fear him. They do because he he just is is uncompromising. He doesn't take a step back, and he's become you know one of Ireland's top three most important players, along with Conor Murray and, and Johnny. So you know, to, for for him to be gone in twenty minutes as, as you know great as tommy o'donnell did and had a phenomenal t- tackle count for 60 minutes you, you know at, at any team is going to be significantly weakened with losing a guy that's very vocal on on the pitch as well Shawnee, from a defensive point of view but also from an organizational point of view with
0: the injuries we were chatting about this with keith wood uh, during the week and he, he just he wondered if the game plan requires us to be very physically aggressive and obviously all rugby game plans do but if there's something specific about us where we seek the contact and we build through that kind of game plan and if this is having some impact on the number of injuries we're suffering.
1: Yeah I, I think as well I think we are missing someone um, with creativity I think um, I think we're missing someone like Luke Fitzgerald or we probably missed um, Keith Earls as well um, guys that can actually beat players one on one and definitely with the feet of, of the two guys I mentioned they're, they're not collision winners as much. They're more getting players get to the space, trying to attract other defenders into them and then slipping the ball away or after contact. That's the way they play their game. And I feel as though we've got a, a lot of confrontational players in the team, but just lacking that ability to take people on one-on-one. And that, that just pulls defences tighter when you have those guys, you know, going to space means it attracts two defenders and therefore it opens the space for someone else.
2: The thing I see with us is obviously we had no line breaks at all against France but we had four or five against uh, Wales. There's no support for the man that breaks through and like he doesn't, number one, he doesn't really want to turn and offload. Number two, there's not even anybody there if he does offload and you hear all the time about everybody needing to go forward fast ball but is the fastest ball not an offloaded ball you know if the minute it goes to ground the other team will have good fellas to come in slow that ball right down every team does it whereas we don't even look to be trying to offload it you know it's it's almost like i don't I'm not going to say it's this thing, it's not encouraged but it's definitely not in
1: players heads i i i agree with you i think there is definitely an aspect that players um Look back on the video, or look back on moments in the game, and and maybe if Joe wasn't their coach and didn't know that he'd picked them up on certain yeah. aspects of the video work of throwing a loose offload, like Zebo a couple of years ago against Australia yeah. threw a great offload, and it didn't go to hand, but it was it definitely right felt like the today. right option. Yeah. but they scored up the other end. Now I don't know; I wasn't part of that conversation, but you know Joe's philosophy is: is the right offload if it goes to hand sometimes that can't be the way yeah it's got to be you're going to you're going to lose a few offloads here and there and but high risk high reward and even risk reward it doesn't have to be high so I, I feel as though there's definitely scope to throw a few more um i wonder as well on our on our line breaks whether we're um whether we're expecting players yeah. to go through it's like i can't believe he's just gone through yeah, there and and now i'm 20 meters behind <laughs> whereas players you know shouldn't should um Interpret that a, that a break is going to happen, and and get there. And if it doesn't, they just backpedal or come off the gas, and then you realign. And that's part of working hard. Yeah, you don't. The culture you know, doesn't seem to be there. You don't stay back. Well, it's part know. of that
0: because there are so many players injured. Like I don't want to make any excuses, but and certainly in the World Cup, well, in, against France, we in the World Cup we looked okay because we had our full team, but since then we haven't looked good, and that's because there is
1: no continuity in selection, really no there isn't um you you look at the the team that sh- you know would be out if everyone was selected it would be vastly different to the one that that played last weekend and and the one that's likely to play against against England so but, Sean o'brien might run a support line of of one of those guys like as that might be his job as a s- yeah but no matter what i know you've different types of seven um O'Donnell should still be there yeah but you still yeah, should I'm be able to encourage um, yeah you should still you know you still, it's it's still being the able mindset. to read the game. Yeah, it's it. You know, there's there's different types of players in different positions, but at the same time, it's that's about someone being a forager as opposed to someone being a ball carrier. But it, when a line break is made, you've got to have the ability to be able to react to that and, you know, and and see it happening in real time as it as as it transpires. Yeah. So he's in a really difficult situation because he's got to go to
0: Twickenham, and his team has been butchered again in terms of injuries. There are calls for lots of changes, there are calls for players to be pitched in. Certainly looking at the history of Schmidt's selection, that's not going to happen.
1: No, I, I don't think it will. I don't think it will. Obviously he's going to have his hand forced a little bit because there's going to be a few. Um, I don't know what the situation, what the, the injury status of Jared Payne is. Um, So you know, potentially everyone's been calling for Stuart McCluskey to go in there. It's a tough place to go and start your test career over in Twickenham. I heard Raj talking uh, after the game um, last week about um, about him he was due to get his first cap against England and then he had to pull out injured and we got absolutely trounced in 2000 oh, 50 right. points Yeah I didn't and know he was to make it that delighted game. <laughs> obviously sitting at home going oh my god that could have been my first and last cap for a while whereas he went he out the following Scotland week game. Scotland yeah. game and we beat them by you know 40 to 20 and that just i suppose it gave him confidence individually and then we kicked on as a team so it, it just shows that it can have an impact on on younger players if 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 you're going in and and your first up is is a is a bad defeat uh i was i was involved in a, in a 46 points to 7 defeat in my first test match so um i didn't i tried my best not to let it, i was just so delighted with the first <laughs> cap that you know you don't worry about the results sometimes what, yeah. do
2: you make, what do you make of the vibes out of England? You know Jones and he's kind of giving them their arrogant streak back, and
1: you know this kind of idea that we're England. I really like uh, what, Eddie, what Eddie Jones is saying and what um, the philosophy he's coming with because they have the, a big enough player base and the quality of players to be that to be that beast, to, to, and it suited them in the past. Yeah. So why shy away from it? They're not all of a sudden becoming shrinking violets because they got knocked out of, out of the World Cup in the group stage. That's very alien to to their belief and and who they are. So they're he's gone about trying to instill some of their previous self belief, and I don't think they're manufacturing that. I think that is there. He's just trying to bring it to the surface. Yeah. Whereas Lancaster might have been trying to dampen it down a bit. Yeah, I think so. I think they they became quite robotic, and I think he's he's definitely giving them an ability to have a little bit more flair um, but as well he's he's not muddy coddling them
0: Got to talk about Robbie Henshaw before we got Lawrence Delario coming up in just a couple minutes time so we'll talk a bit more about uh, Eddie Jones and, and England as well but Henshaw obviously has signed for Leinster it's great news for Leinster it is apparently the worst thing that's ever happened to Irish rugby and to Connacht if you read a lot of the, the commentators this week and I un- completely understand the Connacht's point of view not sure I totally agree with the it's the worst thing that ever happened for Irish rugby thing but anyway um this is an amazing
1: move for Leinster, right? It's great for Leinster. And and sorry. <laughs> I'll get my smugness out of the way very quickly. It's great move. It's been touted for a long time for and Leinster. as a, and as a Leinster fan, you know, of course, I'm biased towards Leinster because they were my team and I want the best for them. Um I absolutely from a of kind of perspective could feel um the annoyance and the disappointment of them and their supporters because it's one of their own and they've groomed him to be the player that he is and now he's going to, you know, to one of the, the main competitors um, because he wants to be a new challenge or play with, you know, with different players or players that are more likely to be internationals. I don't know what his, what his actual rationale was but it's his decision and I suppose one guy has never made a team and so they'll have to regroup and, and um, you know, they've got some nice young players coming through and they've got a fairly handy other centre in Bundiaquay as well.
2: Yeah. Is it difficult though for them to attract big players from overseas now? You know, they have a bigger budget if they're going to say, right, well, you know, the optics of this for them doesn't look good that they're selling their best players. So you're like saying, come to us, we're going places. Ah, but are you really? Do you know, is that the attitude of fellas that's going to come to them? Yeah,
1: potentially, you know, you do want to hold on to your best players because they they do, um, you know, foreigners coming over looking, they want to go. So who who do you have? Yeah. Who do you have in the Irish setup? If they don't know the individuals themselves, they go, okay, who do you have in the Irish team? And you know, it was obviously Kieran Marmion was on the bench in the first game, Nathan White and Robbie Henshaw, and then all of a sudden, you know, Marmion's gone, and Robbie Henshaw's now over to. Uh, Leinster and Nathan White, you know, when Mike Ross comes back, yeah, potentially is going to be relegated to the bench. You know, would he be there if Marty Moore was there? Maybe not. So you know, it it, it does have an effect from um, players want you know certainly players that want to come and win in a team and not just pick up a a salary. You know, towards the end of their careers. Yeah. So Connacht are screwed. Well, I don't know about
0: that. I think that Pat Lam's been great at recruitment. Like he's been really clever about getting players.
1: So Bundy, Aki for instance, has been. A real find, and they have these young guys coming through. I think you know one of the one, one person I would say that I think is very very unlucky. I don't know, maybe even he could have forced his way into into the twenty three is Matt Healy. I think he's had a really good season for them, and people haven't talked a huge amount about them. I know they really like him over in Connacht, and he's something again that Ireland doesn't have. He's a real finisher. He's got proper gas. He's almost the Dennis Hickey elk of, of, right. of type of player, and I just think. You know, you could do worse than than having him in in your setup. I I don't think he's he's really gotten the 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 praise that he's deserved this year because he's he's been a big component to to them their, their placing in the league. So he'll be at
0: Lancer in two years
1: then. <laughs> <laughs> strong in the wings
0: (laughs) (laughs) hang on who's had a contract in two years (laughs) Um, on the central contract issue because we were talking about this during the week that uh, it it seems kind of murky who qualifies and who doesn't and the number used to be as big as 30 and now it's down to 16 Jack McGrath's going to get one next apparently Um, what's this like for players
1: um it's, it's, it's different now than it was when even two years ago when I was involved. Uh, obviously my previous contract that I would have done was two years before that. So it's a, it's a while since the, the goalposts have changed a bit. They're obviously reducing the numbers of centrally contracted players. That said, it means they do lose a little bit of control over those individuals if they're not going to be stumping up the majority of the money for those players. Therefore, they can't have as much hold over them for playing at particular times of the season. So it's a bit of a chicken and egg. Um, but you know the the players that you, you look there's some really top class players that aren't on on central contracts now. I think I think Zebo was yeah, was not, one yeah. that that didn't get one. Um, it's interesting to see um, Jack McGrath now that, that Kean Healy has, has signed I don't know is K- I think Kean's is essential so there's two loose heads so that means if there's only 16 or 17 you're going to have some guys in the international team yeah. that are not on a on, uh, century contract who decides them contracted
2: is there a committee
1: there? Is it Joe? I think there's a t- no, I think there is a a committee, but um I, I don't I don't actually know the ins and outs of it. Um and I don't know who chooses how many numbers there are. I presume that becomes yeah. a, a monetary thing as to as to what sort of money they can they can afford to centrally contract people or not.
0: You were making the point off air that um Darcy was writing this week about it's actually a difficult time of the year for players to be thinking about this stuff.
1: Yeah, it is. I, I just from my own experience I um I was doing some negotiating one year and it wasn't you know, it wasn't being ironed out, and then the union said, "Okay, we'll stop at you know, and and pick it up again at the end of the Six Nations." It was like, how am I meant to focus on the next three or four games when it's your livelihood? Plus, you're in such a weak bargaining position. Yeah, after it, <laughs> you know, by by the, you know, if you've had a fantastic Six Nations, it mightn't matter because the timing is usually after after Paddy's Day weekend, um, where. You know a huge amount of the clubs will have already signed up the vast majority of the players they want to get, and they'll think oh, he just wants to bargain with the with you know with the union at home, so we'll leave him off so even if you do make yourself available, they mightn't have the funds so it's 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 definitely um Weight up in the in the union's favour, and I I agree with Darius. I think a huge amount of this stuff should be signed off pre Christmas. I think it's madness bringing dragging it forward into Six Nations. But that's they're maybe they're doing it because they 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 hold the power with it.
0: Yeah, maybe. All right, we've got to take a quick break. We're going to be back with uh, Lawrence Dalaly. If you've any questions for us, you can text us on five three one six. You can tweet us. At off the Ball. Off the Ball with BetDack.com, the Sports Betting Exchange. Serious about sport, 24-7. Every season, every sport, every team. Alright, so our next guest has won five English Premiership titles, four as captain, Captain two Heineken Cup winning teams, played on three lines tours, won a triple crown, a grand slam, and the championship three other times, and he also won a World Cup. Lawrence Delalio, welcome to the program.
3: Good evening. Welcome. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks. Very well indeed.
0: Before we talk a little bit about the current Six Nations, uh, I just want to revisit some of the times that you guys played against each other. you <laughs> you pretty happy memories of playing in Dublin, Lawrence. Uh, you won your Grand Slam here in pretty dominant fashion. Yeah. Any specific memories from around that game at all?
3: Well, I have no memories at all of playing in Dublin. What are you talking about? As uh, We normally uh, used to go out and have a very good good time afterwards. No, I mean, I, I've got mi- mixed memories, actually. Um, I think for, in an English uh, you know, very good memories of... At Lansdowne Road um, and, and playing in Ireland, but uh, certainly in, in a club jersey, uh, didn't always get it up my own way, or we certainly didn't get it our own way. Um, you know, playing against the likes of Leinster and Munster, but uh, yeah, it's always a great place to play, and uh, really enjoyed it.
0: Um, Ireland obviously won a Twickenham in two thousand and four. Gavin Dempsey goes over in the corner. You talked to us a bit before
1: about that one, Brian, that you'd um, slightly mixed build up to the to the game. Yeah, probably not my proudest moment. I, I was kind of and tongue, uh, tongue in cheek. Just kind of taking, nearly taking the Mickey out of um, what Roy Keane had said about um, about the prawn sandwich brigade, and hopefully we can give them something to choke on. And just thinking that it would be hilarious, but it went down like a hot <laughs> balloon. And uh, and then I realised afterwards that the you know this was uh, mentioned by Clive and definitely made an impact on the, the guy that we're talking to here because yeah. I got a little bit of treatment at the bottom of my ruck. But I'd like to think that, you know, I didn't take them lying down and, you know, there might have been one shot that landed back. <laughs> what did happen at the bottom of the ruck?
3: Oh, I can't remember these days. But, uh, <laughs> listen, I, I mean, Brian had waited long enough to get uh, to get one over England, to be fair, and uh, they thoroughly deserved it that day. I was captain, actually, which was even more disappointing. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, we, we certainly, uh, you know, came, Came off uh, second best, and uh, you know, happily, uh, I don't think I played many more after that. <laughs> that
1: uh, that 2003 team was really special. Go on, yeah, it sorry. was. No, just that game. I, I actually had a, an appalling game. I don't know whether it was as a result of what you know what I had said and and the aftermath of of, of how that had been interpreted. But I played very very poorly myself in that uh, Twickenham game. It's probably the game that that really introduced Gordon Darcy to um, mm. to the international stage. He had a phenomenal. Um, actual uh, six nations but he played particularly well in that uh, English game he carried for an incredible amount of meters but it was that 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 um, World Cup team in in 03 and that grand slam winning team you know is I don't think we have seen a team of that caliber in in the northern hemisphere certainly not since and and even before that, I think that's as strong as as the northern hemisphere has seen um, and then I think they just we probably caught them a little bit cold. Maybe there was still some celebrations from the World Cup um, left over and, and you know, obviously some some key players had left. So I yeah. think we were really pumped for the game and, and we just caught them cold early on.
3: Yeah, I think I think that's it, Brian. I mean, I, I remember a bit, I was named captain after Martin Johnson had stood down, which is never an easy uh, an easy act to follow at all. And uh, I remember looking around and thinking, where have all my mates gone? You know what I mean? Half of them had retired. I think a few guys were injured uh, in 2003, but... Uh, it certainly was uh, was a very different England team after that. The
0: uh, the 2003 team um, in the build up to the game against Ireland in Lansdowne Road, where you do win the Grand Slam. There's loads of talk about that team being a group of chokers because you'd lost the the Six Nations and the Grand Slam and the final uh, game the previous three or four times. And in retrospect, I'm not really sure a if that was fair because there was always key players missing in those big games. Oh. Unless yeah. actually you were a team of chokers until that point. I, and I kind of
3: well, I think uh, I, I think we. with all due respect, I mean, we've lost a few games against uh, Wales and and, and Scotland, so we've definitely blown a couple of grand slam assignments. uh, But I definitely think we had our eyes firmly fixed on a a slightly different prize, which was winning the World Cup. And uh, in order to win the World Cup, um, you've got to beat the Southern Hemisphere. And that's no disrespect to anyone in the North, but we just felt that we were trying to develop a game that um, that was going to allow us to to beat the likes of New Zealand, South Africa, and Australia. And uh, even though we, we choked a couple of Grand Slam games, which, which uh, you know, trust me, given the chance again, we'd we'd have made some different decisions, particularly myself. But uh, we were able to beat you know the likes of New Zealand, South Africa, and Australia on a regular basis. And I think that uh, if if it meant losing one or two games along the way, you know, we we, we certainly wouldn't change that for anything.
0: So it wasn't a psychological barrier those games it was always just a, a, a strange sequence of events really Well
3: I think, I think I think what it was actually was I mean the way things worked out for us in, in our Grand Slam efforts was that we all seemed to play our last game away from home and um, you know that's no that's no bad thing it's just it's just different you know if, you, if you're going for a Grand Slam there's, there's, a, there's less pressure if you play your last game you know in front of your home crowd when you've got to go away from home you know that's a difficult thing to do I think and, uh, and we blew it you know we blew it at Wembley against Wales we blew it at at, uh, at Murrayfield against Scotland and, uh, you know, for, for different reasons, I might add. Uh, and obviously Ireland in 2003 were going for the Grand Slam themselves, you know, so uh, first one for, for, for a while. So it was a, it was a big match, but we just sort of felt to ourselves that in, in the World Cup year, we're the number one ranked side in the world. If we can't go to Ireland and, and win, a, win a game of rugby, uh, you know, forget the Grand Slam, then, you know, we're, we're not really going to go to Australia and win a World Cup.
0: Is there a lesson for the whole Northern Hemisphere, Brian, in what that team did? And, and, you know, it's interesting to hear Lawrence talk about building a game to win the World Cup. um, That the Six Nations is hugely important, but that sometimes we shouldn't get distracted from the fact that this is a Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere playing a slightly different brand of rugby at the moment.
1: Yeah, I think also the fact that they're the only team, Northern Hemisphere team, to have actually won a World Cup. Yeah, we've had Northern Hemisphere finalists, you know, namely um, France and and England on a couple of occasions, on, on three occasions actually, Um, But yet we've only got one winner. Um, But I think what was most impressive... Of um, from from that team's point of view was being able to go down to New Zealand in the summer and win down there, and I think that probably gave them the final injection of confidence that they needed that they could go on and, and win at that at the highest level and go down to Australia, go down to the other hemisphere. You know, it's, you know the other the other English teams um, had had played. You know, subsequently in um, in two oh seven came to went to France, but in ninety one they were in England. So to go to Australia as yeah. well. And play the Australians in the final. You know, it was a pretty tough ask. Yeah. So you know they 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 did it the hard way.
0: What would you describe that team like? When you said we had to build a game to win the World Cup, what was that game?
3: Well, I think we you know we'd been together for a long time, uh, but I think we we just recognised that uh, we just had to had to be able to put together periods of pressure against sides um, and and be able to you know I mean listen, rugby is a fairly simple game. Just just be able to, when you're down in the opposite end of the field and, you, and you're and you're trying to get points on the board, you, you've got to do it in a in a calm, controlled way and be able to build a score, which is something you need to learn how to do at international level. And similarly, when you're playing against quality sides, you're going to have to be able to absorb pressure, um, you know, for long periods of time, and you're going to have to, you know, get a tackle and and uh, and and think smartly and not give away dumb penalties and all the kind of things that go with with, with defending and and. That, you know, to do that against the very best teams in the world takes a bit of time because uh, often sides panic both in attack when they've got the ball because uh, they think they've got to rush to get points on the board. And similarly in defence, you, know, you kind of scramble back and you panic and you give away needless penalties. And we've seen you know, a fair bit of that from all the teams in this year's Six Nations so far. So I think it's just being able to, to, to feel calm in, in, in both sort of parts of the game, really, in attack and, and in defence.
0: That's kind of really interesting to hear that description because it sounds very like what Joe Schmidt's trying to do with Ireland. But mm. there's a, a sense that the Southern Hemisphere teams are playing a different brand of rugby after the World Cup. And maybe there was a massive overreaction at the time of the World Cup and the immediate aftermath going, well, look at the offloads. We're not doing any of the offloads. But the way <laughs> yeah. it's described there.
1: Yeah, I I think there are... Um you know, in in some ways, people are right because we we aren't a you know statistically we're not a good offloading team. And you look at the effectiveness of Argentina more than let's not worry about you know the All Blacks or or Australia or South Africa for that matter. Let's look at uh, Argentina, the most improved team in the world, yeah. and how they've changed their game because they felt the need to do so if they were to beat the the other teams in the rugby championship more often or be in the game right to the end so they w- went back three or four years ago and said right we got to adapt our style be able to play a bit more expansively not just bludgeon teams and then they've brought in this this offloading game you know to to um to to add to their the, you know the the structure and the skeleton of their previous game so i i think we can definitely continue to evolve our game it's not we don't have to change uh, immediately, but I think you have to add different components, and it doesn't help when you've got a big injury list. But at the same time, those guys coming in should still have the same skill set as as the first fifteen.
0: Yeah, Lawrence, what about the the current England style of play? Like, had did they go away from what they were supposed to be doing in the World Cup? And do you see a bit more of of what they should be doing under Eddie Jones so far?
3: Uh, I don't know about that. Listen, you get a new coach, you get a whole uh, different philosophy, you get new new kind of players injected into the squad. Um, it's going to change the whole outlook. So I think England are kind of starting again, really, albeit they're starting again with, with some of the same players and, and certainly a lot of different players. You'd like to think with someone like Eddie Jones, just talking about what we were discussing there and styles of play, you know, he's, he's coached pretty much all around the world and, and understands the philosophy of, of, of what he wants to get across to his players. And um, clearly what we've seen is, is not very much at the moment, you know, because it's only two games and, uh, the game has been based on some pretty robust defence um, and some, some, some set-piece. You know, they they realise you know, Eddie Jones and his coaches in England want to get to a strong set-piece. We, we haven't seen consistency in that across the two games. Um, you know, They had a good line-out in the first game. It, it went to, to pieces a little bit against Italy. They had a, um, you know, a bad scrum in the first game and it, and it was much stronger against Italy. So they, they understand they've got to put that, that together. In terms of the attacking shape, and the structure. I think we're a long way away from where Eddie Jones wants it to be. Um, Brian will tell you firsthand, you know, working with his, you know, both Leinster and Ireland, and I, I can say the same for Watson England. It takes time to build your attacking game. You know, the understanding between players of, of where to go, how to, you know, resource rucks and, and who's the, who are your principal carriers and, and what the, uh, what the pattern is takes a little bit of time. And, and that's something that I'm sure Eddie Jones will be working on uh, a lot in training because, uh, you know, that's that's something that he'll look to develop as as England expands.
0: John so far has been really interesting it's like it's up to the players themselves to be leaders uh, he wants them all to stand up and and to go out there and be empowered for themselves and it seems that that's a, maybe it's a reaction to what went before when it looked like the players were pre-programmed and yeah, yeah. I mean, coach
3: but... a coach's job is to kind of um you know make players believe that his philosophy is their philosophy you know if you can do that and you could get buy in from the from the group um you know that they feel that they've got ownership of that game um you know it's, it's the way you, you know that those players then disseminate that message across the whole team and, and it lifts the lifts the group and uh, yeah no, no doubt about it you want to see more leadership arriving in the group you want to see more and it's interesting on the selection of of the England squad and the team itself um you know there was there was a lot of debate in Eddie Jones' first game. Who would he pick captain, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Who would he pick as uh, 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 you know in his squad? And he's just gone for, for experience initially. Um, I'm sure that team and that squad will evolve over time. Um, but he wanted to get off to a winning start. Um, you know, it's probably an easier start to the Six Nations, and I say that with. Uh, uh, you know, without being disrespectful to any of the sides, the, the fixture list for England, you know, Italy away, Scotland uh, away, well, Scotland away, and then Italy away. Albeit there's no easy away game. You know, when you look at the strengths of the other sides in previous tournaments, it, it's kind of finding your feet in the tournament as they go along. And and you know, there was some good stuff in in both games, but there's some uh, there's some average stuff as well that uh, I'm sure that they will be working on.
1: I think I uh, think Eddie Jones has been great. I've I've read a lot of the of the comments that he's made, and he's 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 box office. He's almost Mourinho esque at times, yeah. Um, with what he comes out with, and he's he's very clearly a, a a smart man and a very very confident man, and he's coming with um a view that he's nothing to lose. You know, England weren't in a good place, so he definitely feels that he can prove them considerably, and he's he's got, he's coming at them with a, a different philosophy. I think they. Absolutely, had their hands held, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, and he's doing the opposite. And he talked during the week about, you know, obviously Cipriani's now moving to Wasp, but he said this isn't kindergarten. The only way you're going to impress me is not by moving club or you know or talking to the media. It's about playing well and producing on the field consistently. Yeah,
0: and it's exactly the type of message that you want to hear if you're in the team at the moment.
1: Totally, and it's it's funny because you you know the, you I, I was just reading the articles at the from the from the weekend. Um, and you know Jonathan Joseph and um the all the talk about you know him being un- under pressure from Elliot Daly and Eddie Jones said no I, I never said that you guys said that you know JJ was never under any pressure for his yeah. place you know and so it's 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 a kind of r- crazy thing for a coach to say, but he has this confidence in throwing, you know, big statements out every so often and bigging up one of his players. And I know he did it with Billy Vinopola the previous week and Jonathan Joseph you now this, this week. So let's hope he won't have any player to uh, big up after the Irish game.
0: Yeah. Uh was there is there any reticence in England about the fact that here's somebody who obviously isn't English who's in charge and, and like did was that is there any sense of this being a little bit strange for the English rugby fraternity at all?
3: I don't think so. I mean, it's obviously um, you know taken a while for England to to, to, to take the leap and and, and appoint a uh, a foreign coach. Certainly in rugby, anyway. I mean, in in a lot of other sports, we were we were talking about rowing. You know, British rowing's had a you know foreign coach uh, for many years, and it's brought them you know gold medals time and time again. So yeah, I think it's it's definitely a, a change from the past. But uh, you know, players respond to, to 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 the best coach, and Eddie Jones has clearly uh, got a proven track record. I think when. Uh, when, when England set out their criteria for the, for the person that they wanted to, to take charge of the team, you know, there, was, there, there wasn't too many options available. And, and Eddie Jones, as Brian has said, is, is taking the job at the right time. Because if you're a coach who's been around the world and, and worked with great players and, and, uh, uh, and won things, you know, you look at the team like England, you look at the squad, you look at the strength in debt, you look at the resources, etc., you think to yourself, actually, I can make an impression here. I can, I can do something. I can build something. And uh, he's been given the job for you know a minimum term of four years. And and it's um you know it's one of the best jobs and biggest jobs in in world rugby. So uh, I bet he's, um, he's he's very excited. He jumps out of bed. He's, a, he's he's known to be a very hard worker and and gets up early and goes to bed late. So uh, I'm sure he'll be expecting the same sort of standards from his players. And one of the things he's you know, as Brian said, he's. He's not afraid to throw a few grenades out there in no. the press conference, so that makes it quite funny as well. Because uh, you know, sport should be fun, and, and uh, you know, we haven't had too many of those press conferences in recent years. So, uh, you know, I'd expect more of the same from him. Um, he's already laid a marker down to his squad to say, um, you know, you're not fit enough, um, and uh, you know, if you want to play a game that's going to beat the likes of New Zealand, ultimately, or Australia, or South Africa, you've got to get fitter because you've got to be able to do the things that we said. You know, make the right decisions. You know, in the opposition twenty-two and. And also be able to absorb you know, huge amounts of pressure when you're defending too. And in order to do that, you've got to have huge fitness across the whole group.
0: And when Eddie Jones makes those statements, Brian, obviously he's got so much credibility in the bank. It's like, we, you know, we're talking about beating New Zealand. That's what our, our goal is. You think, well, he's done it.
1: Yeah, he has. He obviously lost to England in the World Cup final. And to think that was a Johnny Wilkinson drop goal was the difference between you know, him being... You know a king in Australia as well, yeah. so people forget what he has. You know, he almost achieved in Australia. You know, he did great work with Japan, so he is a proven coach at the very highest level. Uh, he did some great work. I think it was he was was he Brumbies uh, before that? Yeah,
0: with South Africa in the World Cup as well. And South Africa too. Team, so yeah. he's
1: had yeah. a huge amount of positive impact on the on, on the and on a lot of clubs he's gone to. So mm-hmm. I think he will in time, and and he you know, it'll take a year to get it all together. And you have to remember too. You look at at certain positions like in the center. You know, with Joseph playing that well, and obviously Elliot Daly playing well, but you still have Slade to come back and Tuolagi to come back. So when that competition for places starts hotting up, this yeah. is going to be a really good English team. And,
3: and also, you look at in the forwards, you've got uh, the likes of Hughes that becomes eligible in uh, in uh, in G- just after the Australian tour. I mean, never mind Vodopoler, who's a who's a player of uh, of of class and potential. You know, I mean, G- Hughes is ripping up trees everywhere at the moment, and uh, you know he's got to turn Eddie Jones's head at some point.
0: Just um, speaking of the back row before I ask you about the, the club game. Um, Maro Itoje, uh, just reading about him, studying for a politics degree an accomplished poet as well as one of the most destructive ball carriers in the Aviva Premiership goes the blurb. Combined his studies with singing, rugby and representing England schools at shot put. This guy's got some talent.
3: The, the only thing that's important is the rugby, really. Quite frankly, um, you know, are <laughs> not a fan stuff. of the poetry
0: and the spoken no, word. No, no,
3: listen, I'm a fan of it, but uh, you know, that's it. All makes good reading, literally. But uh, you know, the most important thing is 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 what he can do on the field. And I think we've all said that for someone so young, you know, the game is becoming increasingly a young man's game. But for someone so young to have, you know, to have that that comfort, and uh, I mean, the, 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 obviously, the natural athleticism that he possesses is is there, very evident to see. The skill level, but the way he reads the game and, and the way he gets involved in in the game in, in a very positive way for someone so young is uh, is very impressive. And you can already see within a champion side like Saracens, he's taking uh, you know more increasingly a, a leadership role within that group at a very young age, which uh, which is which bodes well for him and, and for England. And I think everyone uh, who's played international rugby, who's been around the game, can say with a bit of confidence that he looks um, like a. Like a like a player who's going to go on and have a long, um, hopefully uh, injury-free and successful international career, and and that's what you need. You know, to build any side, you need, you know, you need a few pillars that you can build the team around over the longer term. And uh, and certainly, he looks to be one of those players.
0: One last thing: we we uh, have been worried about the drain on our playing resources. That some of our best players are going to go to the big clubs in England, and certainly chase the money in France as well. There was a similar kind of problem, maybe. It, 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 I guess that it, it hasn't quite emerged that France was going to be the drain on player resources to England as much as it was feared. I guess when Stephen Armitage and and the likes were heading off Lawrence, that it, it seems well, as if
3: yeah, that is the one reason why they do have this policy in place. I mean, it, you know, can you imagine if it was uh, if if you could get picked for England if you played in France? I, I think we would be having a slightly different conversation here. Whilst I may not agree with the whole uh, principle, um, you've got to say that uh, it's it served its purpose by keeping. Pretty much the majority of players in, uh, well, other than Stefan Armitage and Nick Abenden, it's kept all the English players in England, isn't it? So, uh, um, you know, it's it's it served its purpose. If, if that wasn't in place, I think we would see a, a huge amount more players plying their trade in uh, in France or even considering that as an option because, uh, you know, the, uh, the the sort of numbers that are being put in front of players by certain clubs over there are, uh, you know, definitely enough to turn your head.
0: Yeah. Ireland just about survived as well this this season at least.
1: Yeah, it could have been an awful lot worse. You know, there was a lot of names being touted as as potential movers from from the provinces, but to have only really lost um, Ian Madigan and, and Marty Moore um, isn't too bad, all things considered. And um, particularly from a Munster perspective, I think. You know, the, signing up Conor Murray, Zebo and, and and Earls again—that that is an endorsement for the rest of of yeah. the players there to sign up afterwards. So I think that's, you know, it, it was a big statement. Uh, Munster locking them down, the IRFU locking them down for, for the future development of the game.
3: Um, yeah, and you got you got you got to look at it from the from the players' perspective as well. You know, you you want a market because you want want to be paid what you're what, what you're worth in the in the open market. And uh, you know, if if the IRU feel that all their players are only going to stay in Ireland, then they're you know they'll they'll try and um, they'll get they try to get them to agree contracts at a, a at a sensible rate so you know players are uh, are just you know having a little look at what's out there just to just to make sure that unions both in England France and Ireland just just stay honest and pay them what they're worth
0: last question england going to win the six nations Lawrence?
3: i think england um have, have have given themselves a great chance and they? they're two from two i think the the tournament starts to get progressively harder for them now uh, no doubt about it when you looked at their home games at the outset of the tournament, you always felt if they could arrive at Twickenham for the Ireland game, play two one 2 they're going to set themselves up nicely because I don't, I don't care what England team plays. They're always a, a, a much more difficult proposition to beat at Twickenham. You know, This will be Eddie Jones's first game there in charge. Um, I think the players will be fully aware of that. I think um, you know, Ireland have been a very difficult nut to crack for England over the last few years. Um, but I think, given Ireland's problems at this moment in time with the horrendous injury list that they've had, I think Joe Schmidt sort of signaled to to the Irish public that this might be a, a difficult Six Nations post World Cup, given um, some of the retirements and and some of the injuries that they've got. That's been compounded now by by further injuries in the, in the opening two games. Um, you know, it's only his ability and the, and the ability of his coaches that, that I think are keeping Ireland in the in the in, in the in the game really, because it's very hard to play without half your squad available. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it points towards, you know, England just, just to, to, to getting over the line against Ireland, but, you know, it's, uh, it, they won't be taking anything for granted. And, and we, haven't seen, we haven't seen an 80-minute performance from this England team yet either. Um, you know, they've, they've shown glimpses of what they can do, um, but I'm sure that they'll be, uh, um, you know, won't be getting ahead of themselves and they'll want to see a much more complete performance from their own point of view.
1: Would you make England favourites to win it at this point? Yeah, I think so at this stage now, just two played. Um, I think for England the, the pivotal game, probably more so than Ireland, will be Wales in Twickenham in, in what is it, three three weeks' time. Yeah. Because so I think they'll go to France and win. So they potentially, if they if they had four from four, I think there's a slam on the cards. And I didn't think that at the start of the tournament.
0: Yeah. All right. We'll leave it there. Lawrence, great stuff. Thanks a million.
3: Yeah, pleasure, guys. Thanks. Good to talk
0: there's to l- you. L- off the Ball with Betdaq.com, The Sports Betting
1: Exchange Serious about sports 24-7 Every season, every sport, every team